0: Thank you to Sunset Lake CBD for sponsoring this week's episode. Use promo code chat for 20% off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer owned small business that shifts craft CBD products directly from their farm outside of Burlington, Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, edibles, salves, and coffee designed to help with sleep, stress, and sore muscles. Sunset Lake CBD customers support regenerative agriculture that preserves the health of the land and creates meaningful employment in the community. Farm workers are paid a living wage and employees own the majority of the company. Remember, use promo code CHAT to get 20% off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Hey everyone, it's me, Laura Reagan. Just wanted to make sure that you know about what I've got going on this summer. I don't think I've really talked about it much here, which is silly, but in case you didn't hear, I did start a second podcast called Trauma Chat, which is really for anyone who wants to understand what trauma is and how it shows up in our lives. As you've heard me say, if you've listened to this show, I've mentioned a million times that people tend to think that trauma is something that happens to someone else, something horrific and unthinkable, unspeakable. And that is true. Trauma is that, but it's also experiences that are very commonly shared among many of us, most of us. On Trauma Chat, I break down what trauma is in hopefully understandable language that's not stigmatizing. I know I couldn't have possibly captured every thought there is about trauma and every aspect of trauma and how it shows up, but I hope that Trauma Chat will be helpful to people who really don't understand what trauma is and maybe wondering, do I have trauma, you know, or wanting to better understand what someone they care about is going through. And most importantly, how to get help if you have experienced trauma what to look for how to describe your experiences or how to find the words that that name what you've been through so that you can then connect with whatever type of resource support whether it's therapy or a podcast that you'd like to listen to to learn more about it or an article another website this is my hope in creating Trauma Chat. And the second part of that is the new Trauma Therapist Network community that I'm creating. It's unbelievable to say this because I've been laboring behind the scenes to bring this to you for a long time. Starting in around 2018 is when I first had the idea and then the process of getting from there to here has been slow and with many twists and turns, but I'm creating a community for people who have experienced trauma to find help, for trauma therapists to find other trauma therapists to network with and refer to and gather and collaborate and share ideas and hopefully come together in person in in gatherings that I don't know if they'll be able to happen in 2021 but maybe by 2022 We can have in-person gatherings of trauma therapists to provide support to one another and combat the isolation of trauma work. Even if you work in a large agency or group practice, trauma work is so isolating. It's just part of the nature of it. And connecting with other people who get it is so valuable. The participants in my trauma therapist consult groups share how useful they find them to be because we're in our offices doing our work and then we go home and it can be really hard to receive the same kind of support that you give to your clients. So I hope that Trauma Therapist Network will be a useful resource for you, whether you are someone who's trying to find more information about trauma or if you are a trauma therapist yourself. To learn more, please go to traumatherapistnetwork.com. The website is not live yet As of June 28th, when I'm recording this, but it will be live by August 1st, if all goes well. And hopefully there may be even a soft launch before that. A beta version. So please go to traumatherapistnetwork.com where you can find a free download and sign up to be notified as soon as it officially goes live. Whether you are a therapist or just someone who wants to learn more about trauma, there's a download there for you, different ones for each group. And I hope that this resource that I've really created from the heart will bring healing to more people I really want people who have experienced trauma to be able to find the right kind of support. And that's why I created the Trauma Therapist Network. I hope you will join me there. Like I said, you can get more information by going to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com where you can sign up to be notified as soon as the official website goes live, which will be in August of 2021. If you're hearing this after August 2021, go there and hopefully you will find the site and you'll see everything that it has to offer. I cannot wait. This is such a labor of love, something that I've really poured my heart into and I'm just so excited for you to see it. Thank you so much for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Regan. Today, I am excited to speak with someone who has been a frequent guest on Therapy Chat. I replay her episodes often. She's actually been my guest three times prior to today Sharon Martin. Sharon Martin, LCSW, is a licensed psychotherapist specializing in codependency recovery with an online practice serving California residents. For the past 20 years, she's been helping perfectionists and people pleasers overcome self-doubt and shame, embrace their imperfections, learn to set boundaries, and reclaim their self-worth. Sharon writes the blog, Conquering Codependency for Psychology Today, and she's the author of the CBT Workbook for Perfectionism and the Better Boundaries Workbook. Both books are excellent, and I've referred to Sharon as one of my favorite resources in episode 300. So if you're curious about what resources I love and frequently recommend for people who have experienced trauma, check out episode 300. You can find all the past episodes of Therapy Chat on traumatherapistnetwork.com. This week, Sharon and I talked about her new book, The Better Boundaries Workbook and how family dynamics influence our comfort level with setting boundaries and with speaking up for what we need. And she talks about how people can learn to set boundaries. It's not as easy as it seems. So I hope you will enjoy our discussion and thank you as always for listening to Therapy Chat. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so happy to be speaking again with my friend and colleague, someone I greatly admire. Sharon Martin, LCSW. Sharon, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I love Therapy Chat. I love listening to it. I love being on it. So it's oh. all fabulous.
0: Thank you. That's so sweet to say. And, you know, I really do admire your work. I'm always recommending your blogs, your website and your books. And if I lived in California, I'd be probably referring people to you all the time. But, you know, I, w- I still tell people about you for that purpose. But mainly recommending all of your resources. So excited to talk about your newest one, your new
1: book, which just came out called Better Boundaries. That's right. I'm excited to dive into that topic. I think it's, you know, really useful, really good stuff for people to be thinking about how they can improve their boundaries and sort of where their stuck points are and how to overcome them. I think it's, it's just a nice, you know, sort of segue with some of the other things that we've talked about on the podcast and some of the other things that I do in my work is, you know, really helping people. I think, you know, part of it is being able to assert yourself and ask for what you need and understand why that's hard for so many of us. Like, What are some of those messages that we've gotten over the years that it's not okay to have any needs or to ask for anything? Like there's something wrong with that as if we should be you know, sort of magical, you know, beings who um, don't need anything or don't want anything. And, you know, helping people realize that that is, you know, unrealistic. And it's not it's not good for us to have that mindset and that there actually are ways for us to be in relationship with people in a way where we can be when I say sort of true to yourself, that you can actually be your own self and know who you are and what you need and be able to communicate in a, that in a way that feels like it's kind um, and it's not overly needy or it's something that you're doing that's wrong, but that this is a perfectly normal thing to do. And one of the things that I, I talk about a lot, specifically about boundaries is that setting boundaries is a skill set that we have to learn. And most of us never learn specifically how to communicate our boundaries, how to ask for what we need, and that's something that we can learn. We, you know, we need to learn the skills and then we need to practice them. You know, often I think about this just like, you know, learning how to drive a car or learning how to cook. Um, those are things that we don't just know how to do, but usually somebody teaches us or We watch other people doing it, you know, have trial and error. We do things and then we make adjustments. And there's a lot of that in anything really that that relates to interpersonal communication. And we make adjustments, um, partly as we get to know ourselves better and understand what works for us. But of course, then we also need to make adjustments depending on who it is that we're talking with, who it is we're setting a boundary with. We need to, you know, keep that in mind that our approach might need to be different with different people or in different circumstances. So that's that's sort of, you know, a real, you know, overview of, of I think, some of the, you know, the highlights of, of what we're talking about when, we, when we're talking about boundaries and why that's important for us.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for talking about that already, you know, sparking so many thoughts and ideas in my mind, but I was thinking about how, like, You know, you said it's a set of skills that we either learn or don't learn. In some ways, we may learn one thing, but it doesn't really feel right to us, I think. And so I'm thinking, like, thinking about how family dynamics really factor into what we expect of other people, the way we communicate, and how comfortable we may feel speaking up for what we need. Yeah, absolutely.
1: One of the, you know, exercises or things that we, we deal with in the book is, is taking a look at what those dynamics were in the family that you grew up in and mm. thinking about what boundaries did you learn. And this is, this is sort of an oversimplification of this because, of course, real family dynamics are, you know, they vary over time and they're not static. Um, But you can think about just really simply, you know, these categories, which is, you know, did your family have what I would say, you know, are weak boundaries where there was a lack of boundaries, which means um, there weren't clear expectations or maybe rules for children. There wasn't a sense of privacy or being able to be an individual person. So so we have sort of that lack of boundaries. And then there's also families that have overly rigid boundaries. So they have sort of too much. And you might sort of think of this like, sort of a wall, you know, that's, that's erected. And it doesn't bend. It doesn't change. Like, perhaps you can think about if you were growing up, either the the rules and expectations for you as a child were always the same, no matter how old you got, or maybe if you had a a much younger, much older sibling, that your parents expected the same thing from both of you. And there wasn't an understanding that, As children grow up, the boundaries need to change. The expectations need to change because they have different needs and they can do different things. So in a family where there's a lot of rigid boundaries, you're gonna have really strict rules and consequences that don't don't change. Um, There can also be a sense of that it's difficult for like outsiders to come into that system. It's almost as if um, there's not a lot of trust or there's sort of a suspiciousness of of other people um, that it doesn't feel safe to let people in. Um, So it's almost as if that family system is sort of overprotected. Versus the weak system doesn't have enough protection. So, kids in a, in a family where there's weak boundaries might actually feel unsafe. Like, there's it, it could literally be that there are too many unsafe people coming into the family. You know, you come home from school and there's, you know, a new person, you know, sitting at the kitchen table talking, you know, to your mother, and you're like, who the heck is this stranger? I don't know who this is. This doesn't feel safe. You know, Mm -hmm. situations where there's a lot of sort of people coming and going would be, you know, one scenario. And then the other thing, which I think is actually very common, is that people get a mix of these two. They have, you know, times or situations where the boundaries are lacking, and they have times and situations boundaries are too rigid. And, and again, that can be very confusing because none of it is sort of that healthy middle ground that we're really looking for, um, which is there's some stability, there's some predictability, there's that safety in being able to set limits you know, with other people to say, no, I don't want to do that or no, that's not okay with me. There's not a sense of safety in being able to say, this is what I believe, or this is who I am, and to know that that will be accepted and the, the love is unconditional, um, which is like what we're really looking for, you know, for kids in, in a sort of a safe growing up experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, as you talk about it, well, I'll say this about boundaries, I remember when I first heard the word, I can remember it (laughs) because I had never heard of it before that. And when I heard of it, I was like, I don't understand what is this? (laughs) And I remember someone said, read codependent no more. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like something I would want to read. And um, (laughs) so I did not. And then, you know, someone else said, well, it's where you end and I begin. I'm like, I don't get that. (laughs) So what does that tell you about
1: Well, I don't think that's unusual, Laura. I mean, it's funny that you bring that up because I was I was talking to somebody else recently and, and, and just sort of mentioning that I don't remember when I first heard that term, but I certainly know it's not a concept that anybody talked about when I was growing up. And I don't right. know if... I I think that's probably changing a little bit, you know, as we get a little bit more savvy about some of these issues and understanding them. But, But still, I think it's probably, you know, the minority of families who are actually having conversations using those words. And I think boundaries is a good word because it encompasses a lot, you know, and especially for adults. When we're talking about kids, we'll often use like a word like rules or limits interchangeably Mm -hmm. um, with boundaries, but it's actually only one element of the boundary because what we want to remember is the boundaries go both ways. So the parent might be setting rules and limits as as a form of boundary, but the child should also be able to set limits and say to other people, again, in an age appropriate, you know, fashion, you know, that they can assert what they need and what's okay. For them, one example um, that that people have, I think, started talking about is the idea of sometimes what happens with really little kids, like you know, toddlers or preschoolers, is their parents will say, you know, go and give Susie a hug goodbye. And the notion that maybe we shouldn't push that, like that should be a choice that we could li- give even a two or three year old. That if they don't want to give Susie a hug, that that should be okay. And again, this is some of the, you know, things that we learn about what we are supposed to do and whether we can say no or not. I mean, most of us are not going to remember an experience like that from when we're two or three. But of course, you know, our body, you know, remembers and it sort of gets into our unconscious and some of the beliefs that we ultimately carry with us into adulthood You know, and if those kinds of things happen repeatedly, we start to learn that I can't say no, or maybe you did say no and your parent had a very negative reaction and said, you know, no, you do it, um, or you're going in timeout or, you know, something where it was clear that that was not a choice that you were able to, you know, even say no to this very simple thing that involves your physical body. Um, And, it, you know, sort of respecting the notion that children, you know, have a sense of what's right for them. I don't mean that to say that, you know, parents shouldn't ever, of course, tell the children what to do because, you know, we do need, you know, our parents, especially little kids to, to keep us safe. But the truth is that parents don't always know the right things to do either. And I think, you know, in that example, there's certainly no real harm that is going to come if... You know, your child doesn't give the other child a hug goodbye, um, and it might be the kind of place to to begin. You know, listening to a child um, and letting them have a boundary about what they do with their own body.
0: Yeah, because what we know is that for for that example, that you know, that's really about consent. And if you don't teach children that both that they have the a voice to choose whether or not to consent in situations it it carries across the board right it's not just about being forced to hug someone they don't want to hug they don't feel comfortable hugging but it's about you know understanding that their voice matters because, you know, one of the, one of the big things in, you know, what I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about sexual assault. <laughs> so content warning, but just one of the things that, you know, in sexual assault prevention that we say is teach children that, you know, they have yes and no is are words that they can use. And also like teaching them the right names for their body parts too. But um, that's. I'm not going to go into sexual assault prevention, but you know, no, but I think is there is really important. Yeah,
1: there is a connection there, and I did know you were going to go there because I know you do a lot of work in that area. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so it also just reminds me of my own personal experience growing up. Really, with the with the idea of it was important to do what other people told me to do. It was important to listen to adults and follow rules sort of indiscriminately. Um, And again, I don't mean to say that we should be teaching kids kids across the board not to follow rules or listen to adults. But I think for me, sort of this idea of being overly compliant without sort of a critical thought process about does this actually make sense? Does this feel right to me on sort of an intuitive level even has not necessarily served me all that well because I think that is the situation that that sort of preceded you know my struggles with feeling like it's not okay to speak up and say that you know something doesn't sit well with me or I have a different opinion or this doesn't make sense to me. Um, I don't feel safe in this situation. And again, just in a very general sense, I think we also need, you know, to, you know, not just for children, but for adults as well, to be able to feel like we have that right. It's okay for us to have limits, whether that's the saying no, or again, you know, asserting a different opinion, saying, I, don't, I disagree with you on that, you know, because that's important to our sense of self in a really basic way. We've talked about, you know, there's, a I think, a sense of safety that's very important, but there's also, I think, a pretty um, deep need for us to be, you know, sort of true to who we really are. And it's hard to describe, I, I, I guess, this, you know, exactly what happens when we are continuing to push down you know our own voice, because again, it, it ends us up in in difficult situations in a number of different ways. Um, one is that like it can be an unsafe, you know, physically situ- situation physically, but it also, you know, definitely you'll end up in relationships that are just not fulfilling, where you feel like, you know, you're sort of oppressed, you know, in some way because you can't be yourself. But yes, I, I think it sort of carries us, you know, into this carries into different relationships in in all kinds of situations not just even our personal relationships i'm also thinking about how that shows up like in a work situation yeah. And again, not feeling like your opinion matters or your idea matters, you know, and letting like other you have people- have to stay
0: in a job that you hate because you, you know, you should like it or whatever. It's like you learn to just disregard your own feelings about a situation.
1: Yeah, you do. And, and then you're, you know, sort of dismissing that there's something important that maybe you could contribute to the conversation. I was thinking about like a work situation you know, where maybe you have an idea for a project or a product or, you know, a change that would be helpful. And, and if you don't feel like that's valued, that people want to hear from you and you're always staying silent, I mean, that's a loss potentially for everybody, right? There's a sense, right? That like, this doesn't feel good to me, but I think everybody else misses out Mm -hmm. um, because you probably have some good ideas, I think everybody has some good ideas, right? Yeah, we all have Um, something
0: to contribute.
1: Yes, and you know, you know that idea like that everybody's voice matters. And again, I think this, you know, you can think about the same kind of, you know, dynamics in a family situation as well, um, right? That how does the 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 entire family miss out if one or a couple of people are not feel like they can't participate in that conversation, the decision making that's going on.
0: Hey everybody, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my experience with Sunset Lake CBD. I first tried CBD when my integrative doctor recommended it for chronic neck pain and tension that tends to wake me up at night. I really like Sunset Lake CBD's products. The full-spectrum CBD tincture is mild-tasting compared to others I've tried, and I find it works quickly. It doesn't feel sedating, but it does have a pleasant calming effect. And I also like the CBD gummies. They taste good and they work well. So if you're looking for a craft CBD product that comes directly from a farm outside Burlington, Vermont, that's a producer for Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you're going to want to check out... Sunset Lake CBD. Then remember, therapy chat listeners get twenty percent off using the promo code chat. So go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the promo code chat. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking something about conformity too. Like when when you have to comply, it means deviation from the norm will not be tolerated. You know, it's like you have to be a certain way. So then the flavor. Of each unique person is not being expressed, which hurts them, and the whole group loses out by not knowing that person for who they really are and what they really bring to all the relationships.
1: Mm, that's that's a nice segue that I don't you know that I really thought about it quite quite that way before, but it really has that flavor of of being inclusive and what the benefit is of inviting everybody's voice and finding value in that. And, you know, if you're the person who's in a leadership position, you know, thinking about how you can encourage that, but if you're not also thinking about how can you make your voice heard And then, of course, we get, you know, I think to thinking about the flip side of that, which is well, what happens when I try to do that and it's not well received? Because, of course, this is, you know, partly why people don't do it, right? They've either, right? They've tried and it's gone poorly, or they've just learned by watching other people um, and seeing what happens when other people speak up. And, you know, I think that's what often happened to me is, you know, you get you get the sense, you know, from seeing what's going on. I was always very much an observer and you take in a lot of information and you see where it's it's not okay for people to have a different opinion. And then you don't take the chance because you already have that sense. Like this group of people does not want to hear a different point of view or they don't want to hear, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, so right. Then you're conforming. You're really, you're going through those motions, but you know, it's not right for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you said, and seeing what happens when other people speak up, it made me think about like in a family dynamic where, um, you know, there's a lot of harsh um, communication and, you know, you may have one child in the family who's like, sort of can't really contain themselves and they're always getting in trouble. And so the other child or one of the other children is just really being so perfect just to be safe from, you know, what the, they see happening to their sibling, but, you know, inside they're terrified. I mean, I know I can remember as a kid, I was a super rule follower, but I was still constantly worried about getting in trouble, even though I never got in trouble.
1: Yes, I can, I can relate to that too, or, you know, worrying that I'm going to fail the test, even though I never failed the test. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the same sort of irrational fear about something that's very unlikely to happen, but it's a sense that the, the consequence of doing it would be so bad that it would be intolerable. Yeah. Um, and, and and I know that you know this, Laura, but I'll repeat it, you know, for people who are listening, um, that you know, one of the things that I, I really like to talk about is that you know these kinds of behaviors even though they're not they're not really helpful for us as adults i really like to remember that we started doing them for all the right reasons like mm-hmm. they were really adaptive ways of trying to deal with a situation that felt scary that felt out of control felt unsafe. In some way, we knew that, you know, we needed to behave in a particular way in order to get through that situation. And that was the best that we could do. And it worked to a certain degree to get us through those difficult situations. Unfortunately, then usually at some point in adulthood, we go, hmm, you know, I'm still doing that, of course. I mean, because that's human nature. So, you know, keep repeating, you know, the patterns that we learned early on. Oh, we realize that mm, it's, not, so it's not really working for me anymore. And perhaps, I mean, hopefully we're also in a situation, you know, if we can step back and look at it and see that I don't really need that behavior anymore. Mm. I don't need to um, stay quiet anymore, or I don't need to be perfect anymore. And again, this you know, might differ depend, at different, in different situations um, or with different people, as I mentioned at the beginning. You know, it may be that you are in a personal relationship where you feel like, oh, I still need to do this you know, kind of adaptive survival skill, but maybe you actually don't need to do the same thing at work. Maybe that is a, a place where you could let your you know, guard down a little bit and be a little bit more of, of your authentic self. These are the kinds of things that we really need to take time to assess um, and think through, instead of I think being on autopilot. And you know, our autopilot is is it's it wants to protect you at any cost. And I think you know that sort of brings us back, you know, to our boundaries. Is that part of what what we need boundaries for is is a sense of safety and that self protection, and that's really important. But we also have to distinguish where we need those stronger boundaries, where we need to have, you know, the wall up a little bit more and where we can let it down. Because I think if we don't really have a a way of sort of thinking that through and um, being more thoughtful about it, we're just going to go with almost sort of a reactive approach rather than sort of a, I don't know, more a proactive, you know, an actual plan. (laughs) You know, that's part of, you know, what what we work on in the book is thinking about that there are particular steps that you can use to help you develop a plan, especially in a situation where you're feeling really stuck and struggling with either what boundary do I set or how do I set it? Because most of us don't take the time to actually think that through. We just you know, mostly do the same thing that we've always done, even if it's not working, right? I mean, that's the that's the struggle of relationship dynamics is they tend to just go round and round. And the other thing that I really like people to think about is where do they have control in this situation? Um, because of course, that's empowering to you know notice where you've got some control and some power. But that's really the only place that we can make changes. When we, when we want to set a boundary, you know, sometimes we're going to be asking somebody else to do something or to make a change in their behavior to stop doing something, for example. But part of the frustration that people have with boundaries is they ask somebody else to change and the other person doesn't make the change. They might be very angry and say no, setting their (laughs) boundary, right? They might say no in a very uh, unpleasant way. Um, Or sometimes people say they're going to make a change, but they don't. There's no follow through, um, which is equally frustrating to think something's going to change. And then, you know, days and weeks go by and, you know, they still haven't made any, any of the changes and of course, that feels very hurtful and disrespectful um, to have somebody not follow through on something that you've asked of them, which is its own, you know, issue that, that you know we could talk about. But I think, you know, for our purposes today, the important thing, you know, to remember is that if you're in that situation, you need to think about what is it that you can do, what change can you make to try to get your needs met, rather than you know, to kind of continuing to be at the mercy of somebody else doing it for you. Yes. You know, and the ch- the challenge here is that, again, I think we're not really used to thinking about things in this way. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, it's easier to ask somebody else to make a change than it is to change ourselves, right? That, right. that usually feels like the ideal. like this is how I want the situation to be resolved is I want you to, you know, stop, you know, texting me at midnight um, and perfectly reasonable request. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the other person keeps doing it, you know, you have a choice, of course, to to just continuing that situation, but you're probably going to feel resentful and annoyed and and so forth. But you know the alternative is to think like, well, what is it that I could do in this situation so that I can get a good night's sleep and And I know this is a it's again, it's a very simple example. Um, there are much more complicated you know scenarios that we end up um, with this, but but of course, the obvious solution seems to be, well, I could turn my phone off or, you know, I could put that person on, you know, mute or whatever your options are. I'm not rated. Yeah. <laughs> it's pieces. But the point is that you do have options of things that you can actually do to make this situation work better for you. That's not to say that the other person isn't going to ha- you know, potentially have some negative feelings, you know, that you're not responding to their texts at midnight, but again that's that's the piece where you know you have to say well I have a need for a decent night's sleep and I need to go to bed or, you know before that and that's okay you know unless this is truly a you know life and death emergency you know they can wait to get their response until morning but I think part of the problem is that You know, once we sort of get into patterns like this with people that if the friend, let's just say, has been texting you at midnight for, you know, weeks or months and you've been responding but feeling upset about it, you know, of course it's hard to, you know, for for them to adjust to your new approach to things. And oftentimes it just takes some time. It might take some conversation depending on what the relationship is for people to kind of get on board with your boundary but but there are some people that will push back continuously unfortunately. Um, And that's, again, it's it's a reality that there are going to be situations where people will be unhappy when you set limits with them. But those are choices, right, that we have to make if we're, you know, willing to do that and tolerate some of that discomfort. Or we want to, you know, not set the boundary and set the discomfort that comes from that. Yeah. Right. It's not as if there's no discomfort in, in not setting the boundary. And exactly. I think that's, right, that's what people forget is they're unhappy. That's why they're setting the boundary. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like, you know, but, but there's like, it seems like there's kind of like a gradual, I don't know, stages of understanding boundaries because I definitely thought at first, well, if I don't say that I don't want the person to do it, then they don't know. And I feel like they're violating my boundary, but they're they're just doing things the way they normally do things. So I'll just tell them and then they won't do that anymore. And then, like you said, they keep doing it. <laughs> you go through all this, like you muster up the most strength from inside and you say I don't like when you do this and I'm asking you to stop and then they do it again and you're like I don't know it's just like oh you know it's like how could this happen I told them I don't like it yeah
1: well you bring it's up about a like recalibrating
0: of, well, that you know
1: yeah you bring up a couple of points though I think one reminder is you know, if possible, don't wait too long to set the boundary, right? Because part of like what you're describing is that that normal phenomenon, which is like the longer you wait, the more annoyed you get. And then the chances of, of the boundary coming out in, in a not very nice way yeah. have increased, right? So, that, so that's one part of it. And, and of course, you're absolutely right. I mean, people can't read my, what you need um, unless you tell them. But, but of course, even people who care about you can't necessarily like flip the switch immediately. Um, again, behavior patterns, even if they're, they're fairly new, they get ingrained in we are creatures of habit, that we, you know, we tend to do the same things. And I think there's also something sort of natural that people will test the boundary. If you've set a new boundary like this, that there, there's gonna be a little bit of testing Um, And I don't think that's necessarily malicious. Um, I mean, it could be, but I, I think we should try to give people the benefit of the doubt and, you know, think like they're adjusting too. they're trying to figure out now this friend has to figure out a new way to get their needs met, right? If they were coming to you, you know, for support or information in these texts, and now you're not available, the friend has to like, you know figure out like you said sort of recalibrate and come up with some different strategies and that's not necessarily something that people do in one day. Yeah. But that can be a process and so, you know, I think you know depending on, you know, what the situation is, you know, if it's a if it's a safety issue, I mean that's a different matter, but if we're talking about this kind of kind of situation with the text messages Um, you know, we can have, you know, some space there. And I think sort of an understanding that it's adjustment for both parties, and there might be some slips. And, you know, we just want to give people a little bit of opportunity to, to try to adjust before, you know, we kind of go to the next, you know, you know, level with them, or, you know, have the next talk with them, or even, or even try to frame it for ourselves in this way that they're trying to learn a new behavior rather than framing it as they're disrespectful and they don't care about me mm-hmm. you know or something really extreme like that such
0: a good point because that's the that's the message that we as it's festering cuz we're so frustrated and resentful and it's building and we're like they don't respect me they don't even like me they're doing this on purpose. They want to mess with my head, you know, or something like that. And that, that doesn't feel good. And it's also, you're, you're starting to make up a whole story about what's going on that might, might have very little connection to reality.
1: Yeah. I think, I think those are important distinctions to make because like I said, I think, I think most people can adjust and can get on board when we start to set boundaries with them there will be, I think, the minority of people in your life, hopefully, <laughs> really are the ones who are going to push and push and push and, and truly don't care about your boundaries. I mean, obviously, there are some people like that in the world, but but I don't think that it's, for most of us, It's it's the majority of our relationships. So I don't, you know, I think that's helpful to make that distinction. If you know that you're dealing with somebody who kind of falls into that category of in the book, I call it difficult people, you know, you can call it whatever you want, right? But people who are just really challenged, you know, in the boundary department, Versus, you know, the average person who, again, just may not have that much experience with boundaries um, themselves, um, but, but I think, you know, yeah, hopefully most people can, can learn um, along with you, but, but as I said, I mean, there's also, there's also something that, you know, we can't just be asking other people to make changes, we have to be willing to make changes ourselves. And sometimes that's hard because we don't like the choices that we're left with, right? We feel like that ideal choice is, you know, the friend is going to stop stop texting me, but there's usually some other choices. They may not be ideal solutions to the situation, um, but they're the things that you can do. And so therefore we need, we should look at them um, at least and consider whether they make sense for us.
0: Sharon, thank you so much for sharing about this. It's a really complicated topic, but- um i'm excited to dive into your book myself but also with clients and i actually i called it by the wrong name i said better boundaries it's a better boundaries workbook
1: <laughs> that is true it is a workbook yes. <laughs> which i i like workbooks um i guess that should be obvious this is the second one i've written but, but i like them because i think it's important for people to actually practice the skills yes. and that's part of what you know you get in a workbook is you know you have questions that are asked of you, and there's exercises for people to do so that they can be working on that skill component of it, not just the the knowledge base. like we need both, of course, to to understand the concepts, but then to apply them to our lives. And of course that's that's the most challenging piece exactly. of it is, what, it is, what How do I actually do this?
0: Exactly. Well, I have loved talking with you again as always. And can you just tell us where? Tell our audience where people can find everything you're doing. Yes.
1: Um, My website is livewellwithsharonmartin.com. And from there, you can find everything. Perfect.
0: Thank you again for being my guest today on Therapy Chat, Sharon.
1: It is my pleasure. I love talking with you and I only wish we had more time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I I think we're probably going to have to do this again. Thank you to Sunset Lake CBD for sponsoring this week's episode. Use promo code CHAT for 20% off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned small business that shifts craft CBD products directly from their farm outside of Burlington, Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, edibles, salves, and coffee designed to help with sleep, stress, and sore muscles. Sunset Lake CBD customers support regenerative agriculture that preserves the health of the land and creates meaningful employment in the community. Farm workers are paid a living wage and employees own the majority of the company. Remember, use promo code CHAT to get 20% off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. And for more information and resources on trauma and healing from trauma, go to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com. Traumatherapist Network is a community for therapists and a place for anyone to go to learn more about trauma and find resources and connect with help. www.traumatherapistnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.